Amen. Boy, I love good gospel singing like that. I had um, somebody introduce me one time and they said, Brother Davison, all he likes is Southern gospel. That's the only music he likes. And I said, well, that's not true. I like bluegrass too. So anyway, that's, <laughs> but I do like the good, 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 good gospel music. Thank you, man, for the singing, both the group and the quartet. I always love it when men get up there like that. I haven't heard that group of men sing. You just look at them and you don't expect much and then they start singing like that. It's really, really a blessing. Okay, how many read uh, Genesis 27 and 28? Look at that. Well, that should shave off about 10 to 15 minutes. Let's see, how about on this side? Oh, that's not enough. Oh, I was sure hoping to cut it short, but it's, over here they dutch it down just a little bit. I'm just joking. So go to uh, Genesis chapter 27. And uh, actually 28, we're going to read out of Genesis 28. After you've found Genesis 28, if you'd find John chapter 1 and just have it marked in your Bible where you can turn there quickly, that would be good. John, the Gospel of John, and chapter number 1. And just hold it there. And then a little bit later on, we'll be turning there together. We can do it quickly in John chapter 1. All right, so how about we stand and read, um, beginning in verse number one. If you need to remain seated, obviously that's fine. Otherwise, we'll honor his word. And read beginning in verse number one. Now, we're going to, after I've read, I have prayed and have you seated, I'm going to back up and kind of re rehearse uh, chapter 27. That's so important. But let's start in. Verse 1, 28. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And Isaac continues, God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob and he went to Padan Aram unto Laban son of Bethuel the Syrian the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now, verse 6 through 9 has to do with Esau. We'll skip down to verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, 
And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed, just like he promised to Abraham. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. He was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it, upon, uh, set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz. At the first, Luz means the place of the almond trees. Verse 20, And Jacob bowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give thee the tenth, or give the tenth unto thee. Father, we are truly grateful for the joy and the privilege of assembling together tonight. We do ask your blessings upon the reading, upon this effort to proclaim your precious word. I pray, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit would give guidance and help and unction and cause this, Lord, to be effectual, to be meaningful. And the idea of just going to church because it's Sunday night and going home again because that's what we do is a thought that is, ought to be repulsive to all of us. And I pray that while we are here assembled on this Lord's Day, in this, your household of faith called Canaan Baptist Church, I pray, Lord, that you would work and speak and accomplish your will and make a difference. Make a difference in individual lives. Make a difference in families. Yea, make a difference through these days in the life of this, your church. So we thank you again for the privilege to call upon you to have your word and to declare your word, and we pray that you'd get glory to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. God bless you. you may be seated. <clears throat> For those of you that read chapter 27, there's no other way of saying it. It's an ugly chapter. It's a sad, pathetic story. By the time we come to chapter 27, Isaac is an old man. And being one of the patriarchs, you know the, how it goes, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And being the son of Abraham, we would expect, no doubt, more of Isaac than what we see in the account, including chapter number 27. A sad, sad story it is. At this time, he is 137 years of age. 
Uh, he is a man apparently given over pretty much by now to the appetites of the flesh. Now, the reason I say that is because the scripture says that he's old and he thought he was going to die in our account. So what really is he interested in? Well, what he's interested in is eat. That's what he's got on his mind. He thinks he's old and about to die. And the scripture says earlier that he loved his son Esau because he ate of his venison. Esau was a hunter, the outdoorsman. He knew how to prepare the food. And, and here at this stage of his life, with the sad spiritual condition of his family, his primary concern is another meal. Now, that's just the hard facts of it. And that is a sad, sad commentary upon him. So what uh, Isaac does is he gets his son Esau in there and he said, I'm old, I'm going to die. I, I want one more meal. Now, I might just throw this in here right now. He was 137 and he lived 43 years more. He lived to 180. So it's not like he was about to starve to death. This wasn't his last meal. It wasn't even close to his last meal. But like I said, he was given over to the appetite of the flesh. And so he says to his son, Esau, if you go prepare me that meal that I love so much, if you'll do that, I'll give you the blessing and I'll bless you. Now, the problem with that is that while Esau was indeed the firstborn, God made it known while the twins were still in the womb of Rebekah, that this situation was going to be a little different, that the right or the heir of the firstborn was going to be shifted this time so that that blessing and that right of birthright is going to go to the younger and not the elder. The elder shall serve the younger. That's what the Lord told Rebekah. And certainly we have to believe that Isaac would have been apprised of that and would have understood what God had already said. Never mind that. Uh, Isaac is in a state of spiritual passivity and spiritual indifference and that God said the elders should serve the younger. Um, yes, the elders should serve the younger. That God said that meant very little or nothing to Isaac. He said, you bring me the meal, son, and you're going to get the blessing. And so uh, Esau, of course, is uh, willing to do that, wanted to do that. Oh, how desperately he wanted that blessing. But the thing is, Rebecca heard it. And so Rebecca gets busy, I mean, right away. And Rebecca goes and gets a hold of Jacob and she says to Jacob, now we got to hurry. We got to hurry real fast. And you do what your mother says now. And, and I want you to go get two kid goats. I want you to bring them to me. I know how to fix them for your father. At this stage of his life, he won't know the difference between venison and little goats. And I'll make the meal, the kind of meal that he loves. I'll take care of this and you go bring it. And then I'll have you take the meal in to your father and you'll get the blessing you're supposed to get instead of Esau. Jacob answers his mom and said, Mom, that ain't going to work. And the reason it's not going to work is because I'm a smooth man. Come on, you know the story. My brother is hairy 
and my brother will catch on, my dad will catch on to this right away, and he's going to be highly offended by this, and things are going to get worse than you could imagine. Mom, I can't do that. She said, hush your mouth. It's, you got to read between the lines, but it's in there. And she said, you need to hush your mouth and go do what your mama says. And she hurried up. He hurried up and went and got the kid goats, brought them to mama. In the meantime, mom grabbed some of the clothes out of Esau's closet to put on Jacob so that Isaac wouldn't know the difference. And then he said, yeah, but my arms are smooth and his are hairy. No problem. Cover them with the goat skin that she's taken off of those baby goats and will deceive him. Just do what I tell you. So in just incredible fashion and time, it's all done. And then Isaac goes to take it in to his father. He goes to take the food in uh, to his father. And, uh, and when he goes in to take the food to his father, his father says to him, Who art thou, my son? He said, I am Esau, thy eldest son. Now what you call that is a lie. In fact, if you read the whole account carefully, you'll see that he lied to his dad at least four times. You may want to throw a fifth one in there. But there's about five times he just out and out lies to his own father, the aged man, uh, the patriarch, you know, the son of Abraham, uh, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob line thing. Yeah, him. He just lies to him. And his father said, oh, I, I can't believe you have it here so fast. How did you do that? Here's another lie. Well, the Lord blessed me. The blessing of the Lord. I was able to do this so fast and go find the venison and bring it in and fix it for you, Dad. It's the Lord's blessing me. Trying to make his dad believe that he is Isaac. And because Isaac is hungry and because his eyes are dim and he cannot see and because he's fooled by the hair on the arm of the goat and because he's uh, fooled by the garment of Esau that has the smell of the outdoors as well as the smell of a goat. So now you know what kind of guy Esau was. He smelled like a goat. But anyway, he's got all this on him. And because of that, then Isaac is indeed deceived and he pronounces a blessing upon his son. And then after that, uh, uh, Esau comes in and now he comes in with the with a meal, and his father says, Who art thou? He said, I am Esau, thy son. And Jake, uh, Isaac knows immediately, I've been deceived. I've been fooled. The Bible says in chapter 27, for those that read it, that he shook exceedingly. He trembled exceedingly. He was so disturbed, so upset. And, 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 and I mean, he was a, an emotional wreck. You got to remember here that he and Rebecca had been married 97 years. 97. Now, I'm not going to give the proof for all the dates and the ages I give here, but they're there. If you want to look them up, I invite you to do it. They've been married about 97 years at this particular time. And these twin brothers, my friends, are not two kids that are fussing and fighting. They're 75 years old. So here we are looking at the house of Isaac, and he's been married for 97 years. The brothers are 75 years old, and this kind of conduct and this kind of behavior is going on in their house. And it ends with confusion because Esau is so disturbed and upset with his brother, who already got the, uh, the birthright, so upset and so disturbed, he's determined when dad dies, Isaac, uh, Jacob is dead. I'm going to kill him. Well, Rebecca gets wind of that. So mama's still getting with it here and says to him, now you need to go away for a few days. You need to go away because your brother wants to kill you. So they have this situation where the family is just falling apart. 
Jacob and Esau and their relationship, it's not like it was good to begin with. Uh, Isaac and Rebecca married 97 years and she's betraying her husband of 97 years like this. Deceiving, manipulating, lying, dominating her son. You do what I said. You obey your mother. I don't care if you are 75. Do what you're told. Think what's going on here. And what a sad commentary on the family that Isaac, and he's the one that is responsible for this because he is the head of the home. We got to remember that a timeless principle with God is this order. God, Jesus, man, wife, children. Now that's God's order. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's stated just like that. I'd have you to note the head of every woman is the man. The head of the man is Christ and the head of Christ is God. And what he's basically saying there is there's no one that walks upon this earth, Christ included. But what he has a responsibility to Higher authority. And we know that when Jesus came, how many times did he say, I came to do my Father's will? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I speak the words my Father gave me to speak. I do the words my Father gave me to do. And he is obedient to the will of his Father. That's why he came. I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. We understand that. And so this is God's order. And what you have here is it all messed up and all reversed. And Isaac, like a, like a little puppy. And the boys, uh, like Jacob, like a little puppy doing everything that mama said. So you have a spiritually passive father. You have a domineering uh, wife and mother that knows nothing of submission, nothing at all of submission. And then we wonder, what's the problem with Jacob and Esau anyway? You wonder what the problem is? Look at the house they're living in. Look at the order that has been, to God's order, that has been totally violated. Look at this. So now it seems like that after those sad events of chapter 27, when we come to chapter 28, and the passage we read, it at least appears like that Isaac has had his spiritual senses shaken. It seems like he may be coming back to some sense of responsibility, uh, to some sense of needing to be in, in the order that God would have him to be in here. And so in chapter 28, it begins, then Isaac is involved here and he's involved in a positive way. And remember I said, it appears, I'm going to show you why, it appears that Isaac has had his spiritual senses shaken but good. And now he is interested that God's will be done. Now to, to show that, let me show you the difference between the blessing that God gives to Isaac in chapter 28, knowing it's Isaac. And compare that to the blessing he gave to Isaac in chapter 27 that he thought he was giving to Esau. Is everybody with me here? The story kind of goes around a little bit. I may have even said some names wrong. I'm just by some countenances, I think I may have called some of the wrong people the wrong name or something like that. But that's why I wanted you to read it so you can get it right when I follow it up. And so anyway, th th this is the, what we're going to do is read the blessing that God, I'm sorry, that Isaac gave to Esau thinking, I'm sorry, gave to Isaac thinking it was Esau and compare it to the blessing that Isaac gave to Esau, now knowing it's Esau. 
Uh, look over in chapter 27 and look in verse 28. Now look at this. This is the blessing that Isaac gave to Esau thinking it was Jacob. Watch this. Now try to get the tone of this thing. It's very revealing. Look at verse 28. Therefore, Isaac says to Jacob, thinking he's talking to Esau, Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven, moisture, and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine, food. May God bless you. I love to eat what you fix. And, and I want plenty of dew. Uh, that's where the deer graze. That's how you get the good venison. You got to have the moisture there. Verse 29, let people serve thee. What? Esau, let people serve thee. He's the elder. He thought he was blessing Esau, Israeli Jacob. And he said, let the people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. He already knew from what God told Rebekah. That's not going to happen. God said in this particular case, the elder shall serve the younger. And he's trying to pass off a blessing to override that and make sure that Esau is the one that has the authority and is served. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Be Lord over thy brethren. He thinks he's talking to Esau. You, did God ever say that Esau was to be Lord over Jacob? Or did God already make it known Jacob was to have authority over Esau? Come on, you know how it is. And here he is blessing him just contrary to what God said. Look how vain this thing is. And let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. So he thinks he is blessing Esau, but it's going to Jacob. But boy, he got shook. I've got it underlined in my Bible in verse 33. Isaac trembled very exceedingly. He magnifies the degree of emotional disturbance that this caused uh, this man by the name of Isaac. He was terribly upset. But now in chapter 28, being shaken by, to his spiritual senses, listen to the blessing he gives to Isaac now. Not to Isaac, to Jacob now. Listen to the blessing Isaac gives to Jacob now. Look in verse 1. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. There's nothing here for you, son, not according to what God's purpose and plan is for your life. Arise, go to Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of thy daughters, of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Watch this. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. And may God Almighty, verse 3, go down to verse 4, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. Come on, hold on just a second. You may or may not be familiar with this story, but you can see a vast difference in the very tone, uh, the very attitude, the very substance of the blessing that he gives in chapter 28 when he's giving it to Jacob, and the tone and the substance that he had in chapter 27. There's no comparison to the, to the two. Chapter 27, the blessing that he is giving to, he thinks Esau, but instead it's Jacob. And the blessing that he is giving there, I'm telling you, it's carnal. 
It's fleshly. It's profane. It has to do with his gluttonous, his gluttonous appetite. It had to do with the physical world. It had to do with the appetite of his flesh. But over here now in chapter 28, having had his spiritual senses shaken but good, now he speaks like, it sounds like God talking to Abraham. These sounds like words that God would give as he is giving the blessing or made the covenant with Abraham himself. And he calls him God Almighty, El Shaddai, the God who supplies. And so he is very much into that. And, and, and he is shaken in his senses. And now he says, you need to head off to Padan Aram. Now, if uh, you kind of get a picture in your mind here, if you could look on the imaginary map here with me, here they are over here around Beersheba, right down here. And then you go up this way and then you'd come over to this place called uh, Luz over here by the Jordan River. And then you cross on over and then you go on up to the northeast and you're going to go from Beersheba to where Padan Aram is to where Rebecca's brother is. You're going to go about 500 miles. So this is a major trip, I'm just saying. I've got a nice uh, Buick Enclave out there that we drive in. We hopped in the car Friday and headed this way and drove here. And somebody said, boy, that's a long drive. It ain't bad. In fact, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. Yeah. Racing part of the time. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that anymore, but I used to. And so I don't do that. But no, it was easy. If they're traveling 500 miles, you're talking about a major event. And you're talking about danger. And you're talking about lack of comfort. They didn't know any of the kind of comfort that we had. And so what they do is they send Jacob off and say, you need to go up to Padan Aram. You need to get out of here because Esau is angry. And if he gets an opportunity, he'll kill you. And we can't have that, so you need to go. Besides that, you don't need to be marrying these pagans that are down here like Esau has been doing. And what you need to do is get you a wife up there that is of the household of faith and under the covenant of Abraham. Is everybody with me here? And you need to go up there and get you a wife there. Now you take off and go. And so in chapter 28, Jacob leaves. I'm thinking he's by himself. He may have had an entourage. I don't know. I wouldn't argue with anybody about it. But for sure, there's nobody else mentioned but Jacob. There's not a mention of a servant. There's not a mention of help. There's not a mention of anybody that's going along with him. Jacob goes and he comes maybe the second night. If you look from Beersheba to there, maybe going by foot. It might have taken him two nights to get there or two days rather. And he's there that night. The Bible says that Jacob's ready to bed down that night by himself. I let my imagination work a little bit, and I just wonder, wonder what he thought that day as he was walking along. Or those two days? His first time away from home. There's no record that he'd ever been separated from what was so very, very familiar. His life with his mother, Rebecca, his dad, Isaac, and his brother Esau, 75 years. <laughs> and now they're all back there. It's true that uh, Esau seemed to be the favorite of his dad. It's true also that Rebecca had a great interest in Jacob. And uh, I've heard people say, Jacob was a mama's boy and Jacob was a sissy. I'm going to challenge that in the next message a little bit. But I'm not necessarily thinking that he was much of a sissy myself, just because he was close to his mother. 
And so his mother sends him off. His dad sends him off. I wonder what he's thinking as he goes along kicking the rocks <laughs> as he goes by himself. Probably all of his past and all of his chicanery that he has already shown, the trickery, the deception, the stealing of the birthright to begin with, and now lying right through his teeth and knowing it to try to get the blessing that uh, Isaac wanted to give to Esau. And, and just thinking about it. Hold on just a second. In 75 years, I'm thinking there might have been more than two incidents that could have caused problems or shown selfishness amongst them. What do you think? That's a possibility? Just, well, it's not in the record, okay? So I'm not going to make it like a doctrine or anything and fuss with anybody about it. But I'm saying in 75 years, if you're known for being the supplanter, which Esau said he was, if you're known for being the deceiver and the trickster, if you're known for that, probably there were more than two incidents in his life in relation to his brother. Now, I wonder if he's walking along there thinking about what kind of life he'd lived thus far. How could I come to this stage of my life? 75, my dad's about ready to check out. At least he thinks he is. And he's 143 years old. And here I am being forced to leave home. Uh, very dear to his mother and his mother dear to him, no doubt. I wonder how mother's going to fare. I wonder if Esau will ever forgive his mother. I wonder if dad will ever forgive my mom. Will Isaac ever forgive her for pulling that kind of a trick on her husband after 97 years of marriage to suffer that kind of betrayal? That's why he trembled very exceedingly. I said he trembled exceedingly. It actually says very exceedingly. There's a major shake-up thing here. And I'm sure Jacob must be going along and reminiscing and thinking about all of that. Maybe regrets, maybe wishing he'd have done some things different. What do you think? Going along and he's all by himself. And uh, he, know, he knows God. Well, he knows about God. And so knowing about God, no doubt what God thought of all of this must be on his mind and he goes and he comes to this place called Luz and seemed like a legitimate place to camp out. And so he puts some rocks down, lays on the ground, makes some rocks for his pillow. That sounds inviting, doesn't it? <laughs> Put some rocks under your head. So there he is. And he's laying there that night. And he goes off to sleep. And he has a dream. Oh, no, this isn't a normal dream. This is God at work, and he's laying there. One thing I notice is how God works, and I see this all through the Word of God. Aren't you glad God didn't call down from heaven and say, how's it going? How you liking that pillow? How do you like being alone? Deceiver? Liar? Lied to your aged, blinded almost dad five times? How you liking this kind of life? Aren't you glad God doesn't operate that way? I am. I can tell you're kind of indifferent to it, but I'm very thankful. And the reason I would say that is because probably there's more of Jacob in all of us than we want to acknowledge. In other words, there's more in us that want to do things the way we want to do things. We're more in us that makes us want to run our own life, even if we have to pull a little string here or a little string there. Probably there's more of Jacob in everybody that is in this room than any of us want to admit. 
That's why I see that it's significant. And he's lying there and God does not say to him, you're a loser. You're a failure. You're 75 years old. And can you be honest with your dad? You're 75 years old and still doing what your mama says, like a little puppy dog. You're 75 years old and look where you are. Aren't you glad God's not railing on him from heaven? Instead, God speaks to him in a dream. And in his dream, there's a ladder that goes from here to heaven, from the earth to heaven. <laughs> and at the top of that ladder is God. At the bottom of the ladder is Jacob. And on the ladder, ascending and descending, ascending and descending are the angels of God. Do you believe in angels? <laughs> what do you think? Of course I believe in angels. And there they are, ascending and descending on this ladder. What are angels for? The scripture tells us they are ministering spirits to those that are the heirs of salvation. They are messengers of God. They are, do God's bidding and they do his will. And they are there to serve and to carry out the will of God himself. And these angels are ascending and descending upon this ladder and Jacob sees it and he sees them going up and he sees them coming down and he sees them going up and he sees them coming down. And somebody said, well, he's just having a dream. No, but this is God speaking to him through the dream. This is God definitely showing something about the present and showing something about the future, maybe even dealing with him about his past as well. And what God is saying, Jacob, you've been a You've been a supplanter. You've been a deceiver. You have been a liar. You try to take things into your own hand. You have manipulated to get the birthright from your weak and, and, and carnal brother. You have now lied to your father to try to get the blessing that he wanted to give to your brother. And you are a deceiver. And if we know those two ways, I suggest again, there might have been more than that. And God is saying to him, this is the way you've been living your life, trying your best to manipulate and trying your best to move the pieces trying the best to have control, trying to get things your way, have life your way. And God said, look what I have for you. Messengers, watch me, beings greater than yourself. Man is made a little lower than the angels. Beings greater than yourself, innumerable. How many were there? Plenty. I don't know a number. I just know that when Peter wanted to cut the man's head off with a sword, Jesus said, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? And I'll leave it to you to go find out that number. It's thousands. I mean, when Jesus said I could call 12 legions of angels, well, there's no different right here. Who do you think has this bidding going on here? And these angels ascending and descending. And God is simply saying, you're trying to take all the matters into your own hand. You're trying to run your own life. And it is so futile and it is so unnecessary because look what I have to, for you to access. I have you to access the power and the ability of my messengers that are given for the sake of serving those that are heirs of salvation. And you think you have to take matters in your own hand. That's why you lie. That's why you deceive. That's why you cheat. That's why you go around. That's why you pride yourself in your ability to outsmart your dumb brother Esau, your carnal and selfish brother Esau. And he said, look at this. Angels ascending and descending, doing my bidding. 
and you're trying to run your own life when you have access to this. See what he's saying to him? And Jacob awakes. And when he awakes, he's afraid. Uh, this is a terrible place. Terrible means really great. Incredible. This is an incredible place. And he is himself afraid. Because why? Because he knows he's been in the presence of God. He knows that. Now let me pause here for just a second. Then we're going to move on with the account. Do you ever think how sad it is that for God to be able to speak to his servant, this is an indictment on Isaac and Rebekah, that in order for God to speak to his servant Jacob, he had to remove him from home so he could talk to him. Things were so messed up. Isaac did not have a spiritual concern. He was spiritually passive, spiritually indifferent. Oh, so uh, Isaac, you think you're going to die? He said, yeah, I think the time's coming real soon. Well, what is, what's on your mind while you're this close to dying? Food. I'm not sure you got that yet. Eat. Yeah, that's what's on his mind. You're serious? You're about to leave this life? You're about to finish up? You're a patriarch next to Abraham between Abraham and Jacob? You're the patriarch in between? And you have been given the promises of God and the covenant that he made with Abraham was renewed with Isaac and the responsibility was upon him and he had a spiritual responsibility before God and he had so failed it that when he comes down to what he thinks is the end of his life, he is primarily thinking about food? Do we see a problem here? And look at the chaos in your home. Your wife knows nothing of submission. I'm just saying, things were so messed up in the home that there was a passive dad concerned primarily about carnal things. There was a mother that knew nothing about submission. And I know there are those that totally repulse the idea. Oh, we're living in the 21st century. This is the United States of America. It's in the old days where women were supposed to be in submission to their husband. Read your Bible and tell me what you see has changed. I said, read the Bible and tell me where in the world did we get the idea that God was willing to change his plan according to how culture is going. Well, that's not the way it worked. In fact, God's word confronts culture. And with this account, he is confronting a culture. And he is not only confronting them, but it lives in the word of God so that it might confront this very culture because, come on, let's admit it, there are plenty of fathers that are spiritually passive and mothers that know nothing of submission. Now, you, if you're looking at me like I'm accusing you, I'm not accusing. I'm just saying it's a huge issue and a huge problem. And I wish all the problem was outside of church doors because here we got it all together. But that's not necessarily so. I had a pastor ask me once, Brother Ingram. He said, Brother Sam, in the 36 years you pastored, how many situations where you had trouble with pastoral authority or authority in the church where you had trouble, how many of those problems came from men that were the spiritual leaders of their home? He probably asked me that 10, 11, 12 years ago, and I'm still trying to think of one. I haven't thought of any. If you're a female here tonight and you're saying, well, it's obvious he doesn't think much of women. Now look, if my wife is not where she's supposed to be, you know where you need to start looking for the problem? Her husband. Her husband. In fact, I'm not down on womanhood. 
I'm very much in favor of womanhood. My mother was a woman. I married a woman. Don't call my woman. Hey, guys, she ain't a guy. This is one of my pet peeves. Don't you call my woman a guy. She is all woman. That's exactly what I wanted to marry. She's a woman. Not somebody to make you think of a guy. She's a nice guy. Oh, goodness, that kind of stuff makes me sick. I can't hardly stand it. I'm just saying, where, where is the sense of accountability and responsibility here? Yeah, I, I can see Esau. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I can see Isaac. Hey, Isaac, I haven't got to talk to you in a while. How's your boys doing? Oh, <laughs> yeah, my boy Esau. <laughs> you ought to see that boy hunt. I'm telling you, he can take down a big buck uh, how many yards away? Boom, just like that. That baby goes there, just takes him one shot. And then I'll just tell you this about him. Esau to have his own cooking show. That boy absolutely knows what to do. When he brings down a venison, he dresses it out. It's the best thing. I mean, he's a better cook than my wife is. I mean, this guy is fantastic. Yes, sir. How's he doing spiritually? Oh, he can hunt, hunt. That boy can hunt. Well, how's he doing with the Lord? Well, he said, that boy's a hunter. Now, he's an outdoorsman. He just ain't happy unless he's outdoors. That's just Esau. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. Burp in between. Oh, yeah, he's a good boy. He's doing fine. How's Jacob doing? I guess all right. He's pretty good. How's he doing in the line of the promised seed and everything? I haven't really talked to him about that much, you know. Did I tell you about that one buck that Esau got? Is everybody with me here? And there he is. How you and uh, how you and Rebecca get along? Well, Rebecca's Rebecca. <laughs> that woman is a go-getter. She is one strong woman. Well, we tried to get down to detail about order in the home and everything. Then um, I'm sure that you know, with all of her gifts and everything, it appears that way. But surely she knows about submission. Uh, let me just say this: things are a lot better in this house if people don't tell Mama no. If the boys will just do what Rebecca says, things are a lot better in this house. You know what we're basically talking about? The typical average American family, and too many times it's no different in the church house or among God's people, I should say. I'm not accusing. I don't know you. So if I'm looking at you, it's not like I'm down to nail your hide. I don't even know. I'm sure there are plenty that it's in order. There's a revival meeting, and why don't we just cover all the bases and make sure nothing's left undone? How about that? Because it's fairly easy to prove in the Bible that order in the home is a critical matter. It is fundamental to sound church life. It is also fundamental to sound family life. It's also fundamental to being in right step with God. And I know, I know, and I know even know the tendency. I know the temptation of it. For a dad to say, hey, how's your boy doing? How's your son? Well, I tell you, that boy can play ball. I am, that boy is a three-point shooter. You ought to see him shoot a basketball. Yeah, him and 50 million other teenage boys around the country trying to be like the pro basketball players. Yeah, but this kid's good, this boy. <laughs> you know, they think he's probably, he's probably. He's just in the fourth grade, but he's probably going to get a scholarship somewhere. But yeah, that boy is good. He's way ahead of most of the boys in there. I'm telling you, that boy's good. How, how's he and Jesus doing? How was camp this year? 
Yeah, well, yeah. He, oh, well, he played softball at camp. I'm telling you, best softball player there, or baseball, or basketball, or whatever it is they play. Best one there, best kid there. They told me, best athlete there is my boy. <laughs> yep, he's doing great. Doing really, really great. Well, how's he? Did he come home with any heart desire? Is he thinking about Bible college by now? He's in the eleventh grade and twelfth grade. Bible college? No, <laughs> no. There's that one. There's a Bible college Oklahoma people have talked to him about going to, but it's not even accredited. You know, if it's not accredited, it can be worth anything. Well, all the state universities are accredited. That makes them good. I guess. I can see you're not in a very good mood right now, so I never, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's not even accredited. What good would it be? It's not even accredited. Accredited by whom? For what? Who are we trying to please? Whose standards are we interested in? Yeah, no, no, he, not, no, he wants to go over and play some ball. Get a scholarship here or there. Go somewhere and play ball. That's what he wants to do, play ball. And fine with it. Dad's fine with it. Has he ever talked about God's call on his life or a real purpose that God might have for his life and not everybody that's true about and wants to be true to God necessarily has to be a preacher or a missionary or even full-time ministry. But what is he, where is he with the Lord? Yeah, boy can play ball. I tell you, practice takes so much time. I don't even know what he's doing in the youth group. They schedule things at that church that messes up. His, uh, it, it, they get, it, there's a conflict there. Well, it's certainly the church's fault. Okay, you don't like sarcasm. I'm going to try to remember that, but I'm not sure I can, but I'm, I'm trying to. Is everybody with me here? And how is that husband and wife relationship? And what about the matter of submission? Well, you don't know my wife. No, but I know what God said about your wife. And God, God is, come on, you agreed with me this morning. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And what is God pleased with? That meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price, of great value. Well, that's not the today's woman. That's not today's woman, Brother Sam. Maybe where you been? I've been watching. But I've also been reading. The book means what it says. So what about that matter of headship, sir? And, uh, I tell my wife, uh, our, one of our daughters heard me uh, told, uh, one, yeah, let's see, one of our daughters was told by her sister because uh, I'd given her some instructions, something they didn't like, and the girl was, the oldest daughter was in there complaining about it in her bedroom, and we heard the younger daughter, four years younger, say, Cindy, Dad's the boss of the whole house. And I've been telling her that ever since then. Don't forget, I'm the boss of this whole house. Now, if you have to do that over and over for real, you may have problems. But God did establish order. And he means for it to be followed. If it's not, it'll show up. We'll see tomorrow night in the family. It'll show up big time. It'll show up at church. It'll show up. And what do you think kids are seeing anyway at home? You think they're paying any attention? You think they can tell if there's confusion? 
You think they have a clue? They may not know how to articulate it, but you think they have a sense in their response to authority if the line of authority is out of order? I've tried to be the head of my house. Now, hold on just a second. It may be very difficult if your wife doesn't see you being in submission to your head, sir. And your head is Jesus. And if your wife observes you being in rebellion to your head, Jesus, then what makes you think she's going to bend over backwards to be in submission to you? And many really godly women will. But not all are there. See, there's a real serious problem. And if kids look at mom and dad and the things aren't in order there, they might even know how to articulate what the problem is, but they know something's wrong. Then how do you expect them to respond to your authority? Favorably or unfavorably? And this is what we have here. We have a home that's just totally out of whack. We have a home with a passive spiritual father. We have a home with a non-submissive mother and wife. And now we look at these boys that are fussing and at each other like this because he wants to be where he is and he wants what he's got. And they have this strife. And now one of them is even talking about killing his own brother after he's been lied to. No telling how many times, at least twice that we know of, where he's been robbed of the birthright and now this blessing. What's wrong there? Spiritually passive father. Non-submissive mother. Confusion beneath that. It's the way it works. All the time, that's the way it works. All the time. Haven't you paid any attention to the 21st century? I love preaching at men's retreats, and I've done a few this year and got another one coming up in September. And I, I love them, I love them. And there I take the gloves off and we just go to town. I call it smash mouth preaching. And I tell the men at the men's retreat, I'm not your pastor, I don't have to be nice to you. And there aren't any women here, so I'm just gonna let you have it, you know. And so you just go at it. And it's not as bad as it sounds, it's more bluff than it is anything. But I, I, like to, I, I like to talk to the men about the responsibility of manhood and about the responsibility of being men and taking the leadership role. Oh, 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 how desperate our culture is for manliness and manhood. Men who know how to love. Men who know how to lead. Men who know how to care. Yeah, it's, it's a desperate need we have. And our churches are in need of it. Desperately. Desperately. The spirit and attitude of the world has messed up lots and lots of places. Too many times I've sat across the desk and saw a marriage coming apart at the seams. And he's sitting there, would you tell my wife she's not, no, no, no. While he is rebellious, stubborn, selfish, in rebellion against God. She watches him, expect her to be in submissive to him. While he is rebellious against God. Confusion, confusion, confusion. That's what's going on here. And what's so sad is, I started out like this, that God had to separate Jacob from his surroundings to get him out here alone so he could do something with him. I would ask every mom and dad, would you look at your life, your marriage, your home, and see, is God going to have to take my children out of this home 
so that he may really speak to them? Or shouldn't their primary source of being, uh, listen, their primary source of being aware of God's mind and God's will, shouldn't that actually come from the home? Well, the church has a response. There's people that are all mad at youth people and Sunday school teachers that are totally neglectful of their responsibility at home. And then blame others because their kid is not where they're supposed to be. Shouldn't their primary source of seeing godliness and righteousness and love, shouldn't it be in the home? It absolutely should. Even before they come to church? Absolutely. Yes, indeed. And it wasn't so in their house. And where it's not so, you have chaos and confusion. And God has to separate him. We've actually seen students come to Heartland that I, I believe you can see that very thing, that God had to remove them from the environment they were in. And there are many kids that come from wonderful homes and they want to serve the Lord and their, their heart is in them, but they come and flourish and, and they come where God can get them apart from the stress and the disorder of an unbiblical home so God can speak to them there. Wouldn't you hate to learn later, my kid had to leave our house so God could really talk to them? Wouldn't that be terrible? It would to me. Sure seems like it would. So anyway, here's Jacob. And look at it. We're going to quit. Look here in uh, chapter 28 down towards the end where... It says in verse number 16 that he awaked out of his sleep and said, Whoa, surely the Lord is in this place. I didn't know what I was doing when I laid down here. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. My soul, I've been close to God. Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he put for his pillows, set it up for a pillar, poured oil on it, and called it Bethel, the house of God. But the name of that city was first Luz. And Jacob vowed a vow. Look at this. God is getting the attention of his deceitful, lying, about to be servant. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat, which God has already promised to do and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God when I said earlier, Jacob knew God, I, the reason I changed that is I think he knew about God and now he's getting to know God. Would, could I get an amen when we say there's a vast difference in knowing about God and knowing God? Amen. And Jacob is now getting to the place where he is beginning to know God. And this stone, somebody said, was he really serious? We'll follow on. This stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. I suppose if a man is willing to tithe, he's down to business. <laughs> sure, he means business. Yes, sir. And he is making this vow to God. Father, you know who's in this room tonight. You know, every home, every family, every marriage, every parent-child relationship, every young person who is of the age now to make critical decisions and choices. God, you know every life, every heart. 
And what we see here is a man upon whom God had a purpose for his life. And at age 75, he was nowhere near to it. We see a couple that had been married 97 years and their marriage was still very much awry. We see a man called Isaac, a patriarch, who was very much given over to the appetites of the flesh and very spiritually passive. Now, God, only you can work in the hearts of people and only you can know the hearts. I can't know the hearts of men and women in this room. But you know that dad, that, oh, sure, he's going to go to church. Sure. But a man can never miss a service and be spiritually passive. Be very far more interested in things of the business world and the entertainment world and the sports world and on and on. Be far more interested in those things than the things of God. If there's a dad in this room that knows right now, I need to confess to God that I have grown spiritually passive. My heart is not beating for God. My primary concern is not the spiritual effect that my leadership has upon my marriage and upon my family. If there's a dad like that in this room, oh God, I pray there'd be a humility of heart and a willingness to say enough, enough, enough. I need God to have control of my life again. I need to depend upon him again. I need to walk with Jesus again. I need to submit to his authority again in my life. If there's a wife in this room that knows perhaps that her husband is making a solid effort to be a spiritual leader, except the nature has been or maybe the home life the lady grew up in. It might be hard to make changes and to turn around and be different because of the gifts and because of the outward going nature and because of the desire even to control. Maybe there's some women in this room tonight. I'm not saying there, there, there is. I don't know. You know. But it could be there's some here tonight that say, I don't really know much about submission. I really don't know much about that. If that's the case, I said if, if that's the case, might we not ignore this like it's nothing to talk about? Like it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Look at this home that we just read about. Of course it matters. Lord, I pray that among your people, if there are those that know, I need a personal revival. I need to be a family leader. I need a family revival. I need to pray with my wife. I need to, we need to set the right example and have the right leadership before our children. There is a lot at stake here. There certainly is. Might we use or let you use this account in our lives tonight to shake us up. Isaac got shaken to his spiritual senses. May your word shake us tonight to our spiritual senses that we would accept the responsibility that is ours given by you 
O God. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your long suffering. Thank you for your willingness to work with us. And I pray, O God, that we'd be humble before you and whatever ought to be corrected would be corrected before we move on with this series tomorrow night. Bless for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand.